Brett Stevens wrote a mea culpa to Trump supporters in the New York Times. Stevens, a columnist at the Times, expressed regret for demonizing the former president's voters. He acknowledged that his blind hatred of Donald Trump blinded him to the plight of Trump supporters and the legitimacy of their political gripes. Some people saw Stevens' column as a sign of progress, a thawing of the Cold War between the MAGA movement and the political elite. I'm not one of those people. Stevens' apology fell flat and felt insincere to me. A real mea culpa would start with acknowledging that Donald Trump was and is right about the political establishment, both left and right. Mainstream politicians, corporate media, and corporate America sold out the American people. Stevens isn't required to like or respect Donald Trump, but a sincere apology would include this admission. Donald Trump was right for pushing an America first agenda and exposing the media as the enemy of the people. The dishonesty of the media provoked Trump supporters to rally on January 6th. The media are the real insurrectionists. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. Uh, we made it. The weekend is here. Uh, we have an awesome show planned for you today. Kathy Barnett, Delano Squires, Burgess Owens, Steve Kim, all in the house uh, with me. Don't have a, a monumental fire starter. I've already given you a little spark of that fire. And Kathy Barnett and I are going to jump right into that conversation about Donald Trump, the apology that was allegedly offered uh, in the New York Times from Brett Stevens. Kathy, I didn't like the apology. It fell flat. It felt insincere. It wasn't nearly uh, transparent or self-aware enough to realize what people like Brett Stevens and the political elite, what they've done to the American people and what they've allowed politicians to pervert this country. I, I, I just, and so, me as a non-voter, hopefully gonna change here shortly in November, but I Please. wanted to talk to someone authentically with the MAGA movement, someone who was brave enough to attend the rally on January 6th and just get your thoughts and take on what did you think of uh, Brett Stevens' column in the New York Times? Yeah, like you, it fell flat. In fact, I was angry as I read it, and I read it twice, and I felt angrier uh, the second time around. You know, these people, they can't help but to insult you, even while pretending they understand you. It's what we call a backhand slap. You know, and I was reading, and I highlighted a section of it. He said that uh, in the 20... One of the things he uh, talked about is that uh, one of the reasons why Donald Trump perhaps 
uh, found a home with so many Americans, he writes, is because of this great American cultural revolution of the 2010, where traditional practices and beliefs became taboo, right? And some of those traditional practices and beliefs, he names them, he calls regarding same-sex marriage, sex-segregated bathrooms, personal pro pronoun pronouns, ideas of um, uh, a meritocracy, race-blind rules, reverence for patriotic symbols, the rules of romance, presumption of innocence, and the distinction between equity of opportunity and outcome. He recognized that that those things became taboo for Americans like myself and I, like myself and you and others to to espouse. He goes on to say, it's one thing for social mores to evolve over time, aided by respect for differences of opinion. It's another for them to be abruptly imposed by one side on another with little democratic input, but a great deal of moral bullying. And it just goes on and on. And it just, it rings so hollow to me. These people know exactly what they're doing. They know that our ideas of uh, one mother, one father coming together and creating a home is the better option for people. But they recognize that they could bully us into silence to pretend that any family configuration is the equivalent of one man, one woman coming together. They knew that they could bully us into silence when we were looking at grown men wearing dresses, trying to compete with our girls and going into our little girl's bathroom. They bullied us into silence to pretend that that was normal. And as a result, they have destroyed our country. And I believe that they have intended that this destruction has been intentional. They are intentionally unraveling our nation, scene by precious scene. So again, his apology, he can go kick rocks as far as I'm concerned. I don't want it. Moreover, I didn't ask for it. I'm thinking back to 2020, where we saw these Antifa and Black Lives Matter riots. We saw people being dragged out of their, out of their businesses, beaten down in the middle of the street. We saw uh, retired police chief David Dorn being shot in the face simply by trying to stop a pack of thugs from breaking into his friend's business. And they bullied us and they silenced so many Americans. Uh, and as a result, we ended up losing our jobs. I'm considered an insurrectionist just by standing on the first five rights of the, of the First Amendment that says I, as a law-abiding citizen, has ever, have every right to to go and assemble, to peacefully assemble, which I did, to go and um, and to bring forth my 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 issues uh, for redress in front of our elected officials. So they called those who would do such a thing insurrectionists, but those who would go out and, and destroy federal buildings and uh, flip over police cars and burn down private businesses, they called them mostly peaceful protesters. Kathy, the, the thing that irritated me the most is like, I don't want an apology. Th that's not going to move things forward. What I would like for Brett Stevens to do, if he really had a pair and was really sincere, is to start calling out, because he's a member of the media, start calling out and attacking the people that did this bullying and pointing out the apparatuses they use 
mostly these social media apps coming out of Silicon Valley and the San Francisco area. And from, from Google to, to Facebook to Twitter to Instagram, that's how they bullied and smeared. Everybody that raised their hand and was like, hold on, this doesn't make sense what we're doing and all this change and th th that we're rapidly embracing, the social media apps, big tech, and all the money that they've accepted from big tech. And then when you toss on, and again, like, I would love to see the media go after like big pharma and the way this vaccine has been stuffed down people's throat. We got a president who's been sh shot up two to three to four times between boosters and shots, and he's got, he's got COVID. The, the, Hold, the media is supposed to hold these institutions and the powerful accountable. That's how you offer a sincere apology. Do your job. I agree, I agree. And we find ourselves in this place right now with this hyper, hyper, I mean, everything. You cannot agree to disagree. Uh, people are being fired. We see what's taking place uh, in front of uh, our Supreme Court justices' homes with riots. And where is the media on calling, um, on calling that out, on saying this is wrong? Our nation cannot long survive. And again, I believe it is intentional. I believe it's very intentional. You know, and, 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 and allow me to just call out, right, the first five rights of the First Amendment is freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom to uh, assemble, peacefully assemble, uh, freedom to uh, 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 to have your to have your issues, um, your grievances heard by your uh, official, by your elected officials, and freedom of the press. Our founding fathers gave the media. Um, um, a prominent position in our Bill of Rights because they recognize that in order to keep our to keep our nation free, in order to be able to keep the republic, we would have to have people who are informed. And instead of having people who are informed, we see the media, the overwhelming majority of the media, left and right, um, not not holding people's feet to the fire equitably, uh, seeing some people feet being held to the fire, others not. You see Robert Colbert, I believe his last name is pronounced, uh, staff roaming up and down the halls of Congress. They're not considered insurrectionists. And yet you see others. Stephen Colbert, uh, Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert is who you're talking about. Yeah. Yes, exactly. His, his people being allowed to roam up and down the halls of Congress uh, undeterred, not being thrown into prison, uh, not having um, a January, a J6 hearing, and yet you see others being held to a completely different standard. Our nation cannot long survive under this hypocrisy. And to your point, it's the media's fault. And, and that's why this January 6th thing is so important to me because it, 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 it all connects again. If, if this man had said, you know what, based off of all this stuff, I got wrong, the media got wrong, and the way we provoke these people, you know what, if we really want to sincerely apologize, let's end this January 6th madness. This, this investigation and all this money and time that's being wasted persecuting people. They, they put a 69-year-old grandmother with cancer She's got to go to prison for two months. And, and she did nothing violent or wrong. They're just trying to make an example out of, 
but I, I want to go back to your point of of information and how important the founding fathers knew that it was and, and what really drives me crazy about the media and this whole hostility towards religion. They, they all say and claim that oh, the media, we all love black people and we all want what's best for black people. And, and any objective analysis of the journey of black people in America, our success, the freedoms we've won, uh, the liberty we've experienced, the success we have, can all be directly pointed to our connection to Christianity and religion. I'm just, you can't separate the two. I'm just sorry, any objective reading of history is like, wow, these people were super religious and they survived brutality and, some th and, and came up out of that because of their connection to, to Christ and, and uh, biblical faith. And now to see these same people arguing basically that we should detach ourselves from that religion, detach ourselves from that natural order of man, woman, child, family structure that comes directly from God, that's the cycle that he wants to create. They're arguing just the opposite and pretending like they have the best interests of black people. If, if I'll just say, if white people want to distance themselves from God and religion, have at it, because they've had enough power in this country to have success without it. We haven't. Now, that's just a fact. We haven't. And it's the best way, uh, and it's the best path to get into the mainstream and move up in the world is to adopt those biblical values. That's what makes, I, I, I really, I hate them more than Trump. Uh, you know, I, I really do, because one, I've lived the experience. I've been at the top of the journalism profession and involved in it since 1990, and it's a sick institution that's not giving people the information they need to make informed decisions about what they should do. Yeah, you know, uh, only this enlightened generation think there is no God. Our founding fathers, some of the most brilliant men, they thought there was a God. You know, I, I'm sure I probably have said this on your show already, but John Adams talks about our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for any other kind. That's what he said. Uh, and moral simply meaning people who know the difference between right and wrong that there is such a thing as right and wrong and and truth is not relative and it's not fluid and you just can't make it up as you go that you got some truth that I don't have but he recognized that there is such a thing as right and wrong and then he says not just moral people he said and religious people because how else are your morals informed how else are your morals of what's right and what's wrong formed if not by a moral law given um, and this in this nation and our founding documents are rooted in Judeo-Christian principles. I know that may send some people head exploding, running through glass pane windows, but that's a fact. And in fact, in that letter to his wife, Abigail, John Adam drops down and I'm paraphrasing here. He said, when our nation becomes one where he called it um, unwarranted shivery, 
unwarranted shivery, meaning when we become so tolerant over some of the most intolerable behaviors, he said our nation will begin to run through the Constitution like a whale moves through a net. And newsflash, our nation does not exist apart from the Constitution. There is nothing so magnanimous about us as Americans apart from any other uh, group of people outside of this constitution that recognizes that we have been ordained by a God with, with, with to have certain liberties, to have um, this uh, certain freedom, so, certain ability to pursue our ideas of happiness and that those rights do not come from a man or a government, but that they are endowed by God. And so let's just enumerate them. And that's what our founding fathers did. And now we're so enlightened. We have have little babies going into drag queen nightclubs, handing out dollar bills. How enlightened is that? I don't find that to be very enlightened. I find that to be a society that is on a massive decline and in, and in some dire trouble when we cannot say this is wrong. Um, and so that's where we find ourselves today. And, and it's the reason why I've started an organization called Be Better America because I do not believe our help is going to come from those who sit in high places right now. I don't believe they are incentivized to do the right thing. I believe and what I proved in my election is that it's our help is going to come from the bottom up. It's going to come from the grassroots, from moms, dads, and grandparents who say enough is enough. I'm over this already. And that is how we're going to take our country back because these people are not incentivized to give it back to us. Kathy, you, you sent me an email. You made an interesting point that I wanted to ask you about that uh, you feel like uh, the Democrats are, are starting to gang up a little bit on Nancy Pelosi over her husband and all the money they've made in the, uh, with perhaps insider trading in the stock deal. You, you think that some Democrats may see a little weakness in Nancy Pelosi and, and maybe beat her up and take away some of her power? Who knows? We can only hope. It is my prayer that God will expose these people and drag them down the middle of the street, <laughs> remove whatever cover has been on them so and to expose them so that the American people can begin to wake up. This is just blatant, egregious behavior on the part of Nancy Pelosi, her husband, and the fact that they will come in front of the camera and just lie, 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 lie as if we're stupid. We're not stupid. And I am just very prayerful that whatever media will continue to put a spotlight on this very egregious behavior. She got exactly what they wanted in investing in, in um, I think it's called um, NVIDIA is to stop. Uh, they got exactly what they wanted. Uh, the bill, the chip plus bill, uh, no one, uh, more people were leaning toward chip only, meaning to provide this $52 billion in subsidies to organizations, to companies that actually manufacture chips, um, semiconductor chips. Nancy Pelosi and her husband and others wanted a chip plus. Uh, not only uh, the, this the, this subsidy should go to uh, manufacturer uh, people who are companies who, who manufacture these semiconductors, but they wanted the money to go to those who design them as well. And that is exactly what NVIDIA does. They do not manufacture. They just design is very insidious. And that bill did pass in the Senate. Yeah. Uh, Nancy, I think yesterday got asked about, you know, has her husband ever made any 
uh, investments based off her inside information. I know absolutely not. That's a joke. Uh, Kathy, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming back on this. We've had you on twice this week. I told everybody you're my political crush, so you're always welcome. Uh, we'll try <laughs> to get you back on next week as well. All right, I got to take care of some business. Uh, America needs change. But the center of that change has to be the family, your family. We can return to that time with our families and create moments for real conversation, but it's only then we can create the change we wanna see. It all starts at the dinner table with time together as a family. Good Rancher's mission is to bring people to the table. Making those moments around the table easy, accessible, and delicious is what they do best and it's what they deliver in every single box. Good Ranchers guarantees you 100% American meat that's born, raised, and harvested here in the United States and delivered to your door. You will know exactly where it comes from and who you're supporting. I've personally tried it and it's amazing. It's not like one delivery is great and the next one isn't. No, every box has superior quality, flavor, and value. The T-bones, burgers, ribeyes, and even the chicken, it's all some of the best. Good Ranchers is a company that supports American agriculture, plus they support us and what we do. So go check them out, support those who support us and the way we think and the way we want America to be. Make sure to use my promo code FEARLESS to get $30 off your order, plus get free express shipping. You can make gatherings at the table common again with Good Ranchers. Take advantage of this offer before it's gone. Go to goodranchers.com fearless to start bringing people to the table, creating change in America, and eating seriously delicious food from Good Ranchers. Delano Squires, Eric's. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring in uh, Delano Squire, smartest man on the show. Uh, Delano, I want to start you here uh, with a Libs of TikTok video uh, that I saw this morning and I had to ask you about. Uh, this is someone that worked for a school system, I think was a teacher there, and, and has, you know, has been arrested now for trying to bait a minor into a sexual encounter. But what irritated me and pissed me off, this white LGBTQ person with this Black Lives Matter t-shirt. Mm. And it, it, let, let's play the video and then I'll have the question. I'm a resident, townie, taxpayer, vaccinated and functioning, graduate of this high school class of 1999, proud member of the LGD, LGBTQIA community and an employee of Mount Pleasant Public Schools. Thank you. I really cannot speak any more eloquently than the people who have spoken before me tonight. But what I can say is that for the last five years, I have had the profound privilege of working with your students, with your students, with your students. And I can tell you this, they are hungry for knowledge. They are so hungry for knowledge that despite your words, your wishes, your values, they will learn on their own. So many of your children are hurting, questioning, struggling in this world that we have created. They are simultaneously being taught to celebrate and to hate who they are. I can't deny that. 
every day. Ultimately, they will become who they will become with or without us. Give them the chance, the grace, and the support to embrace their own learning. They're going to do it anyway. No matter what you say or do, no matter how many candles you light, no matter how many rallies you hold, with liberty and justice for all. Guy was arrested, uh, and look, hadn't been convicted, but arrested for attempting to have sex with a minor. Mm. I'm so sick and tired of the alphabet mafia, the LGBTQ silent P, and the silent P is for pedophilia. I've been saying this for a decade, and I'm tired of them masking their agenda using black people and their alleged love of black people and this whole Black Lives Matter thing. And it, it goes to the conversation we've been having all week about uh, as black people, as black men, when are we gonna draw a line in the sand? Hey, you can't use us this way. This isn't, you're using us and our image to promote your agenda that I'm just sorry, I'm not on board with. I mean, Jason, the, this, this guy, when I first saw the video, I actually thought it was a spoof. Um, he reminds me of part Zach Galifianakis and part Alex Stein. Um, his, his sort of voice and intonation, I, I, actually, I actually thought this guy was kidding. But when I see that BLM t-shirt that he has on, that perfectly captures the moment we're in. Because I've, I've said this for a long time, probably at least three, four or five years, BLM was always a Trojan horse. And what you're seeing is the conquering army that's been rolled through the schoolhouse doors in that Trojan horse has finally sprung up and, and is ready to launch its attack. And, and that's why you see that we've gone from, you know, all, all the race stuff, right, which people sort of frame as CRT, right, and, and th that has its own issues. But now that army has raised its standard, has raised its flag. Right. I say I use standard and flag synonymously. It has raised its flag. And all you see when you watch lives of TikTok is teacher after teacher after teacher with with rainbow pride flag banners and uh, pronoun uh, posters and all sorts of other nonsense that came into the schoolhouse partly through the Black Lives Matter movement. So I'm, I'm not surprised that um, that he is saying what he's saying or he got caught doing what he's doing, because, again, this this movement BLM was always more about the the LGBT agenda, right? It, it's it had as its some of its founding principles of being queer affirming, of being trans affirming, of being woman centered, um, and being against the nuclear family. So if you read BLM's 13 guiding principles, you would not see a single reference or single use of the word man, husband, or father. The only time they even came close is I think when they talked about uh, being against discrimination against trans men. So their agenda was always clear. It's just that our leaders were too foolish, right? They lack knowledge, they lack wisdom, and they lack discernment and judgment to be able to see that and say, look, you're not bringing that stuff in, in the school, right? You, you don't, we don't need to start telling five-year-olds about being transgender and, and, and being non-binary, but um, this is where we are now, and I'm not surprised that he got caught doing what he, what he got caught doing. I, I, I'm surprised, though, that 
they're getting away with it, that, that we're not drawing a line in the sand. And again, I, I, I spent a lot of the earlier part of this week talking about my criticism of what mm. we're calling black culture, which has been defined for us by others. And again, the others are now starting to reveal themselves that mm -hmm. that guy and his group are actually defining what black culture is. And that's why I'm hyper, hypercritical of it. And I'm just, are we just gonna go along for this ride? Because it, this attaches to the column that you wrote today about this whole pro-abortion agenda. And it's like they're using this black umbrella to promote everything that's in direct contradiction to biblical values. So, so Jason, I, I, I want to tie two concepts together, right? One is in a previous column I wrote, which was about the Selma syndrome and the way that the left ties in um, the, the racial history of this country and has basically fused uh, black racial identity to the sins of our, our, of our past, right? So that's why they, when they talk about Selma, it's always in black and white and sepia tones. There's never a Selma, the, the actual city today and what it looks like today. So when, when President Obama, during his second inauguration, he linked Selma, Seneca Falls, and Stonewall. He, he drew a line from Bloody Sunday to Caitlyn Jenner getting his, his uh, uh, award basically at the ESPYs. So we went from Edmund Pettus Bridge to the ESPYs on the back of President Obama. He, he drew that line, that through line of American history and seeing the, the gay rights movement and what we call sort of the LGBT movement as the, the natural inheritor of the civil rights struggle. And, that's that, and to the degree that black racial identity is fused to leftist democratic politics, we're gonna stay exactly where we are because those two things have been linked and now that bond is so tight that if Democrats think that they get anything less than 90% of the black vote, they're ready to, to look at whoever is, is messing up the deal. And typically that's, that's been black men. It certainly was in 2020. And that's why they sort of trained their sights on the, the very few black men who said, well, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, I'm not gonna give Biden a try. They, they brought out the dogs. They questioned our racial loyalty. They said that we wanted to be like white men. They said we were the black faces of white supremacy. So they do all of those things to keep us in line. But, but you're right. Part of it is our refusal to draw a line and to say these are the things that we stand for. And, and one of the things I said in my, in my column is that black preachers, the pro-abortion black, black, black preachers who we've seen since Dobbs, the, the Jamal Bryants, the William Murphys, the, the William Barbers, um, the Otis Mosses, those, those black men who see themselves as following in the tradition of Dr. King, those men are part of the reason that we are where we are. These are men who think that the government's role is to be basically King David and be our father, to protect us from the Goliath of white supremacy and systemic racism. And that's why they, they throw their lot in with the Democratic Party. The black folks in their congregations don't ever ask the question, why is it that we, people who generally speaking have socially conservative values, how did we align ourselves with the party of abortion up through nine months um, the chemical castration of our children 
and all other things having to do with LGBT. How, how did we, black people, in, uh, get ourselves in bed with the party of uh, build back butchers, right? The party of chopped off penises and fake vaginas. How, how did we get there? And part of it is because those, those preachers are the ones that are delivering the souls to the polls, quote unquote. Um, but nobody asked the question, like, is this what we really want? Is this what we really believe? And do these values align with our, our biblical outlook? You've made this point before, but, but I just want to hammer it here again, because I think this Libs of TikTok video provides a perfect opportunity. But, but we have gotten here because we would rather stand next to that accused pedophile and mm -hmm. that movement. We'd rather be associated with him and the pro-abortion crowd than to be seen caught within 100 yards of Donald Trump. Correct. And so I'm sorry, and, and I don't care who doesn't like me because of it. I'd rather stand with Trump than that accused pedophile and that entire silent P movement. Mm -hmm. If I have to choose, and, and I, I said it, I've said it to my friend. Again, y'all want to act like Trump is some deranged, uh, terrible, I don't, he don't sound no different than my father, my uncles, every factory worker that I ever grew up with talked the same way as Trump. And I'm mm -hmm. just saying, I love them people. And so, and, and, and all the way down to it, I'm sorry, because I, I, you know, I'm of the world and, and just, but even the whole, people ask me about grabbing by the P word when he said, I, was, I got you. You think I didn't hear that at the Masterpiece Lounge? Because mm. that's where I grew up around a bunch of working class black men. You think I didn't hear, you, you think my father, my uncles weren't capable of talking that way, that locker room talk or whatever? Y'all need to get out of here and fake out. Because y'all standing with this clown from Libs of TikTok and the mm -hmm. Silent P movement, because that's what all of this is about. That's why they got drag queens up in schools trying yep. to groom your kids into their lifestyle. But it just, and, and this has got to be your final comment, D. I'm sorry we're a little tight today, but yeah. uh, I just can't believe we'd rather stand with them than be anywhere near Donald Trump. And, and Jason, it's not just Trump, but it's any Trump voter, right? We don't even want to be within yes. 10 miles of, of those people. And it, part, part of my frustration is that so many people, the leadership class in the, in the black community is so phony because if I want to go to hear uh, a, a black man talk about degrading a black woman, I'm not turning on Fox News or, or, or Newsmax. I'm turning on BET. And it's been that way for the, for the past 30 years. So these are the same people who, who glorify and commodify black violence, black degradation, black drug abuse. And then when they hear Trump talk like Uncle Luke, then they say, oh, my gosh, we, we can't we can't get behind a person like that. So th th that's my frustration with it. If, if they were really real, we would draw a line in the sand in our community and say, look, we don't subscribe to the disrespect of any woman, particularly black women. We don't care if it's coming from Snoop, Trump, Don Imus or anybody else. But that's not what they do. They, they give plenty of money to to the to the black men who speak just like Trump. And then when when a white man turns around and says the same words, then it's like, oh, we, we can't have that. Because really what it is, Jason, I've said this before, for much of the black elite, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of white people. 
They value the words, the deeds, and the values of white white Americans, and particularly white conservatives, more than they do their own. That's why you have black pastors in Chicago writing articles asking white suburban pastors in Chicago, in, in Indiana, to help with the fact that black men kill each other with guns every day in the Windy City. It makes no sense unless you understand that there's no one who believes in the supremacy of white people more than black Democrats. Thank you, D. Uh, Thank get you, your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com uh, backslash fearless. Burgess Owens, member of the House of Representatives from Utah. Thanks. Welcome back. Uh, let's welcome in Burgess Owens, uh, Republican congressman from the Utah's 4th District. The number 13 pick overall in the uh, 1973 draft by the New York Jets, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl 15 with the Oakland Raiders, uh, and a champion of black fathers and the black family, or just family in general. I need to take the race thing out of it and just a champion of fathers and family and the importance and just understanding the importance of fathers and family. And so uh, we've been trying to get Burgess on the show, uh, and, and now we've got him. Burgess, uh, welcome to Fearless. Uh, and, and I know you've been out agitating uh, for a focus on the family and trying to get people to understand the importance of fathers. We talk about all these solutions and government programs and we need X, Y, and Z, and what we really need are more families and more fathers. Absolutely. First of all, Jason, thanks so much. Um, I was really excited to, to know we could put this together. I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Um, and, and I'll just say this. Of all the things I've done in my life, uh, I, I will say this. I'm so proud that I have a dad who taught me to be a proud American and to, to really uh, uphold my role as a father, as a man, uh, as, a, as someone who would partner uh, with, our, with our partner, with our spouses. At the end of the day, our job, job very simply is to partner uh, protect and provide uh, for, for, with our, our wives and, of course, our families. And once men get back to understanding that process, we, we get back to basic general and, and, and we can, again, re, uh, redefine or get back to the, the, the old American ways that, we are, that, that I grew up with, was your. Burgess, how did we get here? How did we move so far away from just, that's a very basic understanding of life and success principles that everything is built around a sustained man, woman, child, family structure. How, how did we move so far away from that? Uh, well, first of all, we've uh, been under attack for a long, long time. And it starts with understanding our history, understanding what works. Uh, the reason why I, I feel so blessed to have been raised on the time I was in the Deep South in the 60s, uh, days of KKK, Jim Crow, and segregation, is all that didn't matter because we were trained and taught by what we saw that the tenets to make our country great is faith, family, free market, and education. And I grew up in a community, even though we were segregated, was so proud of who we were because we were tied into those, those tenets. Um, I, I, want, I want to say this, Jason, because it's important uh, for those who don't know history, our American history, in particular black history, that uh, it doesn't matter uh, who we are, how we get here, what language we speak. If we tie ourselves into those tenets to make the American way work, 
we can succeed. And my race is what our race is one is a great example of that. If we take the time to understand our history, uh, so let me start by saying this: 40s, 50s, and 60s is the black community because we're so committed to uh, commanding respect by being the very best of those tenets, faith, family, free market, education, that the black community led our country in the growth of middle class, men matriculated from college, men committed to marriage. Over over 70% of, uh, of women knew, black women knew they were gonna have a father in the house to take care of those kids and, 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 and their spouses. And also we, uh, we, we had the highest percentage of entrepreneurs. Uh, 40% of black Americans across this country were business owners, which equated to cross this country, whether it be Tallahassee, DC, California, uh, between uh, uh, 60 to 70% were part of the middle class, which I grew up in. So what, what it speaks to me is that uh, success is, is not a, a, it should not be a question mark. Go back to what worked, and it works when the family is working together. And what the left has done is very, very effectively is they've separated what manhood should be, what womenhood should be, what, what now children should, the protection should, children should have at this point. We have to get back to uh, make sure there are men in the house who will pay the price, be the ultimate sacrifice uh, for their family, and make sure that, uh, that their name is a good name and, and their, their kids grow up in a safe environment. So, Burgess, you're, let's say, 15 years older than me, 15 years younger than my parents. And, and but, so I, I sit here and think about the time that I grew up in, and it feels so idyllic compared to what we have now. Everything that I was told as a kid was about, man, you can do anything, you can conquer the world. My parents and my grandparents were like, we made sacrifices so that you could have opportunities that we couldn't. And so I felt like, and this is despite being poor, I felt like I could accomplish and do anything. And then I listened to you talk about your childhood, even 15 years before mine, when, and down in the South, when, when racism was far more pervasive than it is now. But we've got kids running around now thinking like, that, that this is the most racist time in the history of the world and that they can't make it and accomplish things because all these systems have been put into place. It, it just blows my mind. And, and for someone like you that grew up in the South at a time where you like really saw systemic yeah. racism, it was laws on the books. Yeah. What do you say to the young people now that think like, oh, I can't make it because I'm black or because I'm yeah. brown, uh, what do you say well, to them? What we're seeing is the success of, um, of, of lowering the expectations for all Americans uh, by the left. This has been, we've been on attack for a long, long time. And I'll say this, I, my first exposure to white Americans wasn't until I was 16 years old. But I grew up in a community that was so proud to be Americans. Uh, we, I grew up walking to school and raising the flag and knowing I would never let it touch the ground because of the price that my, my parents' generation had paid to make sure that we had the freedoms we had. And, and the thing is, we, we grew up at a time when we, we believed in something called meritocracy. Uh, it was not, it was not uh, that, that community I grew up in was, would be so offended by the fact that people really believe that they can't do what other people do because of the color of their skin. They would, they would, they would fight you to prove that uh, they were as good as anyone or better. And we were taught very simply, if somebody told you you couldn't, guess what you do? You go out there and work harder. Uh, I, I, I was able to, to run across a box of letters of my, my dad when he, once he passed away. He came back from the war. 
I lived, grew up in Texas, could not get his postgraduate degree uh, uh, in Texas because of Jim Crow laws. Uh, ran across this box of letters, the rejection letters from colleges across the country, trying to get some place to get his postgraduate degree. He, here's what's interesting about that 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 uh, generation. He never brought that box out. He never talked about what 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 they did to me. He never he never complained. What he did is he kept trying until he got to Ohio State. We got his PhD in, uh, in agronomy. His older brother got his PhD in e economics. They left there in the early 1950s and went out to be successful college professors, successful entrepreneurs, successful mentors. And their message was very simple as this. Somebody tells you you can't, you work harder, you, 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 you drive harder, you study harder, but you're gonna prove that they're wrong. And to me, it was just an exciting uh, environment to grow up in. And my goal was simply, simply, Jason, I will not stand by and let the leftists put down my community and my, my, my parents' community and, and generations before me who paid the price that commanded respect of anybody around them. And now they're trying to steal our history so we don't believe that, that with some kind of kind of went from slavery to the 60s and between then and in the 60s that we were hapless, hopeless. And that is not who we were. That's not the American way. And uh, I, I refuse to stay quiet as they continue to demean our race. Much of the conversation on this show is about driven by me is like, hey, the, the solutions aren't political, they're spiritual. But you're in politics. I, I'm wondering what is it politically that can be done to alleviate this uh, secular, anti-family culture that we got going on? What can be done politically to alleviate some of these problems? Well, it comes down to this. Uh, first of all, have the courage to stand up against it, uh, stand up against the heart, the racist heart left, uh, the CRTs out there, the things that uh, the Marxists, the socialists have been after for a long time. They have the courage to stand up for that. Uh, roll up our sleeves and instead of looking at what the government can do, on a, uh, it comes down to we the people. It's people in those communities rolling up their sleeves, uh, helping those kids to be mentored, help those kids to figure out a way to make sure they're educated. Uh, here, here's, here's how the left works and has done so well. I just talked about how when I was growing up, black men uh, led the country in terms of men matriculating from college. Here we are in, in, in 2022, uh, in the state of California, 75% of the black boys in the state of California cannot pass standard reading and writing tests. These are young men who will never be able to pick up the scriptures and find out that they're special, that they have within them the ability to overcome all obstacles, that they live in a country of, of winners, of overcomers, in a country that Americans cross the board, every color, creed, and religion have come together to become a much better nation. They'll never read that. Instead, they'll turn on the television and continue to be indoctrinated by, by evil. It's what it comes down to. People who love to use misery as a political strategy. And uh, I'll, I'll say this, Jason, I am, I've never been more excited than I am today because I think Americans are waking up. Uh, the, the idea of we the people, when we start talking together, there's nothing more powerful, and that's a spiritual uh, promise. And so we have now Democrats, Independents, and Republicans sharing the same pain, the same misery, and saying, we don't want to be here. We don't, want, we don't want those freedoms that we take for granted to be taken away from us. And as we start to talk, we're going to start putting people in Congress who will do the right thing for the right reasons and be a, be a, megaphone, a megaphone for what the Constitution is all about, what our country is all about. And then it's going to come down to we the people getting involved, getting engaged, being educated, and do your part to make sure uh, from grassroots that, uh, that, that, our, that the left does not continue to steal away uh, the hopes and dreams of our, of our future. 
Burgess, I can't let you go without asking you this. I went to school on a football scholarship to Ball State University. Obviously didn't make it to the NFL. You had a very uh, nice career in the NFL with the Jets and the Raiders. You played, you won a Super Bowl with Al Davis's Oakland Raiders. Uh, Al Davis and I think about uh, Pete Rozelle. And, yep. and I think about the early NFL and how they marketed the NFL as this very patriotic experience. And then I look, and, and that's what helped football uh, usurp baseball's place in America. The, the whole football, there's nothing more American than watching football and, and, and on a Sunday and taking your kids and the whole nine. And now I look at where the NFL is now, embracing much of the Black Lives Matter stuff and a lot of the everything's racist narrative. Uh, I, I just, I was talking this morning, I was explaining to someone like, we still wanna talk about uh, NFL quarterbacks and all the racism they're experiencing. And I'm like, Kyler Murray, is going to make $46 million a year. He's the second right. highest paid player in the NFL. He's barely five foot nine tall, black kid. He's probably the 75th best player in the NFL, if he's even in the top 100. He's certainly yeah. not one of the top 10 quarterbacks, but he's going to make $46 million a year. And this league is trying to convince me that the, the NFL's racist, sports are racist. The whole, how did we go from the NFL embracing Americana and patriotism to the NFL now being a part of the woke mob? Well, that's the problem, wokeness. Uh, and and this is the attack we've been under for a long, long time. Uh, these guys are like little termites. Uh, you know, they have no idea of the damage they're doing uh, and, and the foundations of our nation until uh, the, the whole house falls down. And uh, wokeness is, 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 has been uh, a infested the NFL because of the leadership of NFL. And let me tell you where wokeness comes from. It's when you don't really love our country anymore, when you care more about profit and power than you care about America. Getting people. back, wokeness is infested because of the leadership of the NFL. Absolutely. He's Absolutely. We have an NFL to today. We have an NFL today that is more more concerned about their profitability in China than they care about the love and the 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 the, um, the way we work together here. Everything that our country has been about is what do we find in common? Even though we might be a diverse uh, uh, group of people, think about the things that we've always looked at that kept us together. God, uh, our sports, uh, our families, those things that we say we can agree on certain things, even though we might disagree on others. And, and for them to get to the fact that even sports now has become divisive. We have the NFL being being willing to have young men who are making multi millions of dollars a year sit on the, on uh, a kneel on the on the sideline, talk about how bad things are, um, and 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 giving the message out to all those our, our enemies, those who do not love our country, to give them the message that we are truly a racist country. Know this: NFL is making big bucks, billions of dollars, by going to places like China, and and Ireland and Mexico. They have betrayed the American fan but can't care more about the Chinese fan because they know that's where the beans will come in. You look at the NBA, they will not stand up against the Chinese uh, Communist uh, 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 Party because that's that's where their bread's being buttered now. We're looking at traitors. 
We're looking at people who turn their back on the American way on the, on, on the, on the sports and the, the industries that have made them who they are here in the United States. And we need to figure out a way to turn those people off. One thing about the left, they love power and they love profitability. You take away their profitability, their power, and they'll come in line, at least temporarily, until they figure out another way to, to undermine it. So we can do that by prioritizing our country, uh, our culture, over a ticket to watch people who do not love our nation. Burgess, we so appreciate your time. Uh, I, I want to, you know, when, whenever I'm speaking to an elder, someone so wise, I, I don't want to uh, end the interview without giving you the opportunity to, to share a little bit of that wisdom. And perhaps there, there's something I know that your dad or, or someone in your family shared with you that you can share with our audience and we can take with us as we wrap up this interview. Oh, thank you so much for this opportunity, Jason. And let me just leave with the audience the legacy that your parents' generation and my parents' generation gave us that is so uh, so much needed again. And it was really what 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 does it take to be a young man who will grow up, look in the mirror and feel good about his life, look feel good about his, his legacy and his name? It's very simple. If you do this, young men learn to love God, country, family, respect women in authority. You got it made. You will come to that point in your life, realize I got it, I did it right. And, and to add on to that, for young ladies, if you want to find a, a young man who's gonna really make you proud, take care of your kids, uh, give you a name that you can t attach yourself to that you'll be proud of, do this. Find a man, young man who loves God, country, family, respect women and authority. That is a simple, simple formula for success. That's the American way and we need to get back to it. So let's fight, Jason, get that done, my friend. I look forward to it. Thank you, Burgess. Appreciate the time. All right, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the notifications. Hit subscribe. Hit me in the chats. People, I'm in the chats most nights, and I, I love these people. That, that ain't you really, you, Whitlock. It is me in the chats under my name. That my little football, Ball State football pitcher, that's me. I hate it when y'all say, that ain't Whitlock. That's some fake. That's a troll. It's me. All right, Steve Kim. Korean Cosell. Welcome back. It's time to bring in the Korean Cosell, talk a little sports, talk a little sports media news. Uh, Cosell, uh, my... Uh, former colleague and partner on Speak for Yourself, Marcellus Wiley, according to the New York Post, is out uh, at Speak for Yourself and probably at FS1. Uh, they're talking about uh, doing a show, I think, with Emmanuel Acho and Joy Taylor and LaShawn McCoy. Uh, good move, bad move, no move. W what do you think of this shakeup at uh. FS1? Man, this is worse than when the fat boys broke up because I'll be honest. <laughs> I have not watched that show since you left. And I used to be a diehard daily viewer of that show. You know that for a fact. So they got rid of the peanut butter. Now there's no jelly and all you get is stale bread. I mean, I, I, I was kind of thinking about this analogy. It's like, you know, when New Edition had their issues with Bobby Brown and they actually fired Bobby 
because he was freestyling on the stage doing pelvic thrust during Mr. Telephone Man. They said, okay, you gotta, 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 gotta go. <laughs> but they replaced him with Johnny Gill. Johnny Gill was a fine replacement. The, the issue is, though, with New Edition, you can't really have it without Bobby and Ralph Tresvant. And I don't know if those other guys can even make up Belle Biv DeVoe. So, look, <laughs> Marcellus Wiley was at least one of those guys that was willing to stand up and push back against the completely woke, anti-white, oh, we're all the victim narrative. And that's what made the show was that it wasn't just this one big group of, of groupthink where everyone was in lockstep together. I, I'm sorry, but without Marcellus Wiley, uh, Speak for Yourself now is officially dead on arrival. It's gone. Had a nice run, but all good things must come to an end. Well, uh, I'm not going to touch that, but I will say this. I think, and I, I want your reaction to this, I think Marcellus should head back to ESPN mm -hmm. and pair up with Max Kellerman. Uh, they can call it Marx. Marx is Kellerman and Marcellus. Marx and Marcellus. I think there would be some good contrast and diversity of thought. I think it's time for a reunion of uh, Max and Marcellus or Marx and Marcellus. Uh, I think that would be a good move for ESPN. I think it would be a good move for Marcellus. Or you could call it White Guilt and Wiley. Could you imagine that show on a daily basis now in 2022? <laughs> it would be a white guy, a highly liberal white guy, telling Marcellus how bad he has it in America, how the system is against him, how white supremacy has held him down, and Marcellus would be, yeah, none of that is true, look at me. And they can just go back and forth, like, no, no, you're oppressed. No, I'm not. No, no, trust me, Marcellus, I'm a white liberal. I know what's better for you. You're oppressed. That, I, I don't know about that. I don't know. I mean, once Hall and Oates broke up, they just broke up. Just, that's all, certain things are just meant to be. Mm, all right. You don't want, I want them back together. Uh, I wish uh, Marcellus well uh, and, and, and really think ESPN has an opportunity to answer. I, I'm telling you, I would legitimately watch Marcellus and Max go back and forth. I think that would be interesting and something neat. Yeah. Serious, serious question, though, based on Marcellus's views and his willingness and the courage to actually push back against certain narratives, do you think he fits the mold and the profile that that network ESPN wants currently in 2022? Yeah, I think they need that for their credibility. It's almost like the role Will Kane played there for several years, uh, except now it would be a black dude playing some of that role. Uh, and I, I just think, yeah, I think ESPN is a starving, uh, thirsty, need, need of water, need of common sense, and Marcellus can provide it to him. And I, I think he would be, look, there's all these political factions within ESPN, all of the, all the little special interest groups, the LGBT, the black, blah, blah, and, and they, they're not offended by Marcellus. They, they will tolerate Marcellus. And so, yeah, I, I think he'd be a great fit, and I think he'd, he'd make the other people better and appear uh, like ESPN actually cares about a little balance in his point of view. So, yeah, I can imagine uh, the final question when they interview him, but Marcellus, 
Can you cry? Anyway, all right, moving on. Moving on. Just saying. Charles Barkley uh, is called out his detractors because it seems like he may be ready to do a deal with the Saudi Arabian uh, uh, Saudi Arabian Golf League Live or LIV. He was on the uh, Pat McAfee show. Let's let's hear from uh, Charles Barkley. If somebody gave me two hundred million dollars, I'd kill a relative. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. I'm not sure we can do anything else after that. I don't know what the next question would be, uh, but we appreciate the hell out of you, Chuck. Hey, I'm serious. Hey, they said uh, Phil Mitchell got $200 million and Dustin Johnson got $150 million. Hey, for $150 million, I'll kill a relative, even one I like. (laughs) As I explained, and people got all upset with me, Uh, I took a lot of criticism for explaining the mentality of Charles Barkley. I didn't agree with it. I just explained the mentality. Charles was at that nightclub and he, you know, I love gay and trans people and blah, blah, blah. And I explained to people like, hey, look, man, this dude. And again, this didn't come from talking to Charles. This is just me being an outside observer and watching what he's doing. I was like, he knows he's going to get ripped for taking this money from Saudi Arabia. So and Saudi Arabia is very hostile to the LGBTQ silent P movement. And uh, Charles wanted to get out in front of that, build up some goodwill so that when he took this check, he'd take less heat. And, and so I, I think Charles is serious about this. I, I, this is not, this is my opinion from way on the outside. I don't want anybody to think Charles Barkley told me this, but I think Charles Barkley's tired of the NBA I think he's tired of the players. He's, they're selling a bad product. Charles has not said any of this to me. This is my opinion. They're selling a bad product. These athletes don't compete anymore. They take nights off. They don't play that hard. He, if he can end his broadcasting career talking about golf, cracking jokes about golf for $20 million a year, I think he I think he'd do it and be very happy. Jason, I have got to give Sir Charles credit. He's a better man than I uh, because I'd kill relatives for a lot less than 200 million. But I think what he is saying is, hey, let me live and let live. And look, I I actually agree with your thesis. I can just see it sometimes on inside the NBA. He has no stomach for today's athletes specifically the nba athletes and there seems to be a lot of entitlement i think i mentioned this to you several months back the attitudes that some of these players have towards shaq o'neal when he tries to interview them and and they start acting like petulant teenagers because shaq gives them a critique of the game and those are two guys that i would consider old school players even though shaq played a lot uh more recently that Back when they played, it really was, even though it was a brotherhood, there was a lot of rivalries, there was animus, there was there was true hatred among certain teams, and I think they missed that. They're not from that AAU generation of basketball player. And look, Charles Barkley is the ultimate, I would say, capitalist. And there's money to be made, he will be made. And he pointed out one thing about the hypocrisy. And look, if any NBA player wants to talk about that ethically and morally, well, then they need to address their own league's uh, ties with China. 
And look, even in boxing, anyone that wants to act like that they are working for Greenpeace or that they're really humanitarians, look, we're having a heavyweight fight in Saudi Arabia in late August featuring the rematch between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua. Uh, I don't see a lot of boxing media members who I know lean politically in a certain direction. Um, are they going to boycott that event? Are they never going to talk about it? Are they not going to cover it in any way? So we're filled with hypocrisies. But, but I, I will say this. Inside the NBA is a national treasure. I actually like watching that show more than the games. In fact, I've watched more of the Inside the NBA than minutes of basketball the last five years. Once he leaves that program, it's a sad day for television because there will never be a show of that nature ever again. Uh, finally, Richard Sherman... Uh, I guess, I think, his NFL career may be over. He has signed a deal to join Colin Cowherd's uh, digital media network, the Volume Network. Uh, this is a far cry. There was, what, five years ago? I think people thought, man, Richard Sherman may one day be in the Monday Night Football booth or Sunday Night Football or certainly you know, one of the most sought after by major network media personalities. You know, Richard Sherman could be the Charles Barkley of, of the NFL. Uh, well, he's going to have to start by podcasting on Colin Cowherd's Valium Network. His, his fall from grace really started with that incident with his wife's family. Uh, do you expect Richard Sherman to have success in, in the media field? And will he one day make it to perhaps back to where everyone thought it was going to end up for him on a major television network. In terms of his effectiveness as an announcer, that remains to be seen. Um, because you know this, Jason, from being in the media space and having co-hosted different shows with various athletes and other figures. It's one thing to be very uh, personable, very funny, very amusing during interviews. It's another thing to be on a television show with cues and directors, and you have to get out a certain time, and it's really much more stage, and you have to talk within certain uh, segments with, with boundaries of time, and then you become a performer. So it's one thing to become an athlete who has a personality to a media performer. Very few athletes, like a Charles Barkley, can make that transition, and it even took Charles a little time to really find his feet. But in terms of rehabilitating the image and then working your way back up the media ladder, I use the example of one of my favorite athletes of all time, Michael Irvin, the playmaker. Look, when Michael Irvin not only had the White House, he had other issues in Dallas. There was actually a hit put on him by a former cop. Um, and then even after retirement, there were other incidents where you're like, wow, that is really too bad. Nobody will take a shot on him. But... In the early 2000s, there used to be a show on Fox Sports that I watched a lot. It was called The Best Damn Sports Show, period. It had Tom Arnold, it had a young Chris Rose, and Michael Irvin was one of the daily panelists. And I think John Sally was the other guy. Michael Irvin, in the one time I interviewed him, said that show was incredibly important for me and my career. Could it show people, while I'm not a perfect guy, I'm a decent guy. And I thought I really saw him blossom as an announcer and as a personality who was incredibly self-deprecating. He, he used to actually tell White House jokes right on the air, and it was the funniest thing. So then people said, you know what, this guy's not a bad guy, and then eventually you see where he is now. 
I think one of the keys for Richard Sherman, that if he wants to get through that episode, um, is to be as self-deprecating as possible and not take yourself too seriously. Um, I do wonder if he's going to really lean into the social justice issues, because I think right there that's going to turn a lot of people off. But that remains to be seen. But does that one incident close the door on Richard Sherman having a big media career? No, because the, the history has shown us if you're willing to work and you actually develop a personality, you can work your way through those type of sins. I want to say w one thing just very quickly about Michael Irvin. I used to be a big critic, a big critic of his. I used to call him the pipe maker instead of the playmaker. Uh, and then... And then at a Super Bowl, I believe, I had like a two-hour conversation with Michael Irvin. And Michael Irvin's a flawed guy, just no different than me yeah. or anybody else. But he's one of the best human beings I've ever met. That, that, that yeah. guy is an incredible human being. And his intentions are good. Is he flawed? Is he a sinner? Yeah. Does he have all that stuff in his past? Absolutely. I'm not running away from any of that. But... And he's a natural performer. He, he's a yes. great TV talent. Can Richard Sherman be that kind of, of a great TV talent and as personable as, as Michael Irvin? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I, you know, Richard, to me, comes at things from a bit of anger and condescension. Yeah. That Stanford degree makes him think that he's smarter than what he actually is. Uh, but we'll see. I, you, you never know. I, I think he probably has a chance. He will make some news with his podcast because I think he'll be very outspoken and he'll be honest about a lot of NFL players and, and make news that way by, you know, because you can't, if he starts criticizing quarterbacks or NFL players, defensive backs, wide receivers, whatever, that's going to make news because of, you know, the stature of his career and what a great player he was at one time. So uh, I think he's got a shot. Thank you, Steve. I got to go. Uh, support conservative voices. Subscribe to Blaze TV at get.blazetv.com slash fearless and get $10 off your literally subscription. All right, I, I, I got one final point I want to make. Just me and you, and we'll wrap up the show. All right, welcome back. Uh, you know what? I'm going to do this from time to time. This is a good way to put a button on this week and this week of shows because I believe it was Tuesday or Wednesday, my memory's a bit fuzzy. I went into the long explanation about the importance of ministers and an explanation about this show. Loretta uh, had written me uh, that, or posted that message on Instagram, you know, criticizing me and why am I so critical on black culture? And it, yeah, it was Wednesday, I think. And I just did the whole hour and 45 minute show, just me, one, starting with an explanation of the show and what we're trying to do, and then giving you real life examples of things in the news cycle that kind of back up why I'm doing things and what we're doing in the show. And so I, I think it's important from time to time that I explain, and maybe it's a weekly, just explanation like, here's what we're doing in the show, here's why we're doing it, just to give people a better feeling and understanding of me 
and the show. And so if you on Thursday, I then pivoted to comedians and Dave Chappelle and why I think comedians are important. And I said this at the very beginning. If you go back, I think, and listen to uh, Uncle Jimmy and I did interviews at the very beginning or where I let him interview me about the show. And so these are like original, original episodes of Fearless. And it was just talking about what Fearless was gonna be. And then, and so at that time, I explained comedy and ministers and how they're the gatekeepers of free speech and the public discourse and truth. And, and so, you know, you give that explanation at the beginning and then you start executing the show and you think like, oh, everybody gets it. And, and then you realize, well, no, everyone doesn't get it. You got, it's almost like a wife or a girlfriend or a spouse or whatever. It's like, oh, can you just tell them you love them once? Oh, remember, baby, on our wedding date, I told you that I loved you? Don't you remember me telling you? And it's like, well, no, you need to tell me all the time, maybe every day. And, and that's what I have to figure out about myself. I need to explain the show more often, what we're doing, because I'm asking you guys to join a movement, to join the Fearless Army. I'm asking you to go on a journey with me and the show as we try to push America a better direction. And, and so I just want to restate again the importance of comedy and why I want this show to have a sense of humor. And, and we saw, I just I saw another example of this uh, on my social media feed either yesterday or today, Bill Burr, the comedian Bill Burr, uh, did, has done a comedy routine where he analogizes uh, the abortion issue to baking a cake. And he basically attacks the pro-abortion crowd and mocks them. And I, I just want to play a small snippet of Bill Burr doing some comedy around the issue of abortion. And then I want to talk to you about why it's important. It's not a baby yet. That's what they say, which may or may not be true. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But I'll tell you, my gut tells me that doesn't make sense. It's not a baby yet. That would be like if I was making a cake and I poured some batter in a pan and I put it in the oven, and then five minutes later you came by and you grabbed the pan, you threw it across the floor, and I went, what the f ruined my birthday cake? And then you were like, well, that wasn't a cake yet. It's like, well, it would have been. If you didn't do what you just did, there would have been a cake in 50 minutes. Something happened to that cake, you cake murdering son of a And so, Comedy is important. They get at truths. They make points in a different way with people laughing, but it's very profound. And it opens up room for us to have a conversation about abortion or any of these important issues. And so I keep saying th th this show is about ministers and comedy. And it sounds silly, and I know it's hard to understand, but again, these ministers from the pulpit and from the church should be protectors of truth, protectors of free speech, protectors of public discourse. 
They work in that religious lane. Comedians work in the entertainment, in the culture, in the pop culture lane, and do the exact same thing. They do it differently. They do it from a secular point of view for, for the most part. But they, these two groups should work hand in hand. And as I talked to you guys on Wednesday about Tony Evans and why I built the show around something Tony Evans responded, uh, inspired in me. Tony Evans, I'm talking about the, the famous minister out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, and, and so I, I was trying to explain how religion and culture and that culture should actually back up the Judeo-Christian worldview. And, and they should work hand in hand in protecting our culture. And that's what Bill Burr's doing. I don't think that's Bill Burr's intent. I don't know if he wakes up and like, hey, I'm gonna, he's just trying to be funny. But comedians point out irony and they mock stupidity. And this whole abortion thing of, of like, oh, we're not really killing a baby. He's pointing out that that's stupid. Yes, you are. Now deal with that fact. And once we're forced to deal with the facts, then we make better decisions. But if we allow people to create a false reality, take us off into a fantasy world where a baby inside the womb isn't a baby, it's a fetus, it's a collection of cells. It's what, now you're off in fantasy world and that's how you start making bad decisions. That's how you get involved in a satanic cult and you don't even know it because they've played with their mind. They've played with the truth. Oh, that's not a baby. That's a clump of cells. That's a fetus. That's not a baby. And that's how you can say, I'm a Christian, but I'm pro-abortion. Well, Bill Burr is basically saying, no, 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 no. You're killing babies. That's inconsistent with your religious beliefs. Don't sit here and tell me that that's not a baby. Because again, if I put a bunch of batter into a deal and put it into an oven and I'm obey and you throw it out, you've killed a cake. It's brilliant. And so, and, and I'm sure the Bill Burr's curse words were bleeped out uh, on the show, but you can go find it and find the stuff. And, and maybe we didn't bleep it out, hopefully we didn't. But, I just want to be crystal clear with everyone about me as well. And, and, and this isn't me at all trying to run away from uh, my responsibilities as a Christian. But as I've talked to you guys repeatedly about, I'm on my walk and I'm on my journey and I'm not making excuses. But, but I grew up listening to Richard Pryor. I grew up uh, fantasizing about being Richard Pryor or Eddie Murphy. There's a part of my sense of humor that's very crude. And I'm, I try not to show it as much, particularly here on this show. I try to represent the Christian part of me. But as I've told all of you all, repeatedly on this show. My grandmother, Mama Lovey Kennedy, had an enormous impact on me and my worldview. That's the Christian side of me, which I'm embracing and running towards as fast as I can. 
But there's the other side of me that's a reflection of my father and the Masterpiece Lounge. And it's why Donald Trump doesn't offend me, because I grew up at the Masterpiece Lounge around working class black men, factory workers, black women factory workers, and we talked and they talked no different than Donald Trump. And I'm never going to demonize those people because I love them. The Masterpiece Lounge in Indianapolis is my favorite place on earth, or was when my father owned it for all those years, and Jimmy's J Bar J before that. So I say all that to say, if you're coming here expecting me all the time to present myself like I'm a minister, you're going to be disappointed. I'm going to support ministers. That's why Bobby and Anthony are on this show. I'm going to support men and women, but men who are in uh, marriages and family structures that are trying to be an expression of Christian values like Delano and Dave Shannon. But I'm also going to represent the people that I grew up loving and loving being around. And not all of them were perfect Christians. Many of them were like the people that frequented the Masterpiece Lounge. And so there's part of my sense of humor that may not meet your ideal Christian values. And I apologize for that. I'm trying to do better. I say that because on my Instagram yesterday, I posted a funny meme about Joe Biden and his COVID test. I combined it with the Tierra Mack, the uh, Rhode Island woman, a state senator, and her little twerking video. And, and I just want to tell you, the, reiterate the point of comedy. And we don't have to leave that up forever, but I, I just said uh, they leaked Joe Biden's COVID test. That's how they tested him for COVID. <laughs> with the twerking Tierra Mac. And I'm sorry, it's hilarious. But it has a point to it. And this is the importance of comedy. And I'm trying to shove it in people's face that look, this young black woman who's a Democrat and whose purpose in life is to be black and queer and to educate your kids or kids in Rhode Island about queer affirming identity and blah, blah, blah. She thinks it's appropriate to take a video of herself upside down twerking. That's the Democratic Party and that's what they think of black women. And I'm throwing it in your face because you need to deal with it that she thinks that's appropriate. She thinks that's what the Democratic Party is all about. Because again, that, that's, vote T.R. Mike. That's what she says at the end of this deal. And her goal in life, she's talked about it. She's done it as a teacher and just in politics. Her mission is to teach kids how to be queer and discover their queer selves and let them learn about all their gender and identity issues. That's her goal in life. That's the Democrat, that's the left. And that's, I'm going to shove that 
in your faces and make you deal with it. On the other hand, we have a president sitting in the White House, and I'm going to make you deal with this as well. His daughter wrote in a diary that this man used to take showers with her at a time when she thought it was inappropriate. And she alleges in her diary that she feels like it contributed to her sexual dysphoria, her promiscuity and her drug problem that landed her in rehab. That's Joe Biden's daughter that said this. And there's all kinds of videos and pictures of Joe Biden inappropriately sniffing the hair and the body of women and young girls. I'm going to throw that in your face and make you deal with it, that that's who we have sitting in the White House. And so now put my meme back up again. That's what this meme is trying to tell you. We got a dude in the White House who's on tape, on camera, everywhere, sniffing women. His daughter, who had to go to drug rehab, uh, says this man used to shower with her when she was a child in an inappropriate fashion. Everybody wants to ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen. Oh, no, I don't. And just, nope, that's got, the media made it up. It's all facts. It's all on camera. It's all on tape. It's all in her diary. So I combine these two to make the point that the Democrat Party's got some black queer woman who thinks twerking upside down halfway naked is the appropriate thing to do. And they got a president who might be a pedophile and can't control himself from sniffing all over young girls. That's the brilliance of comedy. And that's why they say a picture's worth a thousand words. Because I'm shoving all that down your face to shake you up out of that satanic cult that you're in. And so, I, 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 for those of you that were offended, and those of you that think I violated every Christian principle that you thought I held, you're gonna have to deal with it. That's, this show is going to do that. I have a sense of humor, I'm gonna use that sense of humor to make points about this satanic cult that we have going on in America. Go watch something else if you don't want the truth shoved in your face from a biblical point of view and from a comedic point of view. I'm not going to do everything right. That's not what I've claimed. I'm on a journey. I'm trying. But right now I'm trying to shake people up and wake them up and put it in their face in a way that they have to deal with it. If I'm wrong, let God judge me. Let God deal with me. Uh, I appreciate your feedback or whatever, but I am who I am. I'm uh, Joyce and Jimmy Whitlock's son and my father and the Masterpiece Lounge and just his had an incredible influence over me, a good influence. And my grandmother, Lovey Kennedy, had an enormous impact on me. And this shows a reflection of that. 
All right, play tomorrow, and we'll see you next week.